Hello Watch fans and welcome to Season 2, Episode 2 of That Watch Podcast. In this episode, P&L Watch Collection, Diverse Watch Collector and I are talking about the Rolex Certified Pre-Owned Program. And then we move on to watch get-togethers. As always, there's colourful language throughout, so please throw on your headphones if there are any sensitive ears around. Here we go! So we wanted to say, didn't we, gentlemen, uh, just a, a note of a minute of housekeeping, because on a previous podcast, we had oh, talked yes. about the wonderful Rolex certified pre-owned program. And we at least had been slightly confused as to what the fuck the Rolex certified pre-owned program is. Do Rolex service these watches? Who Who is it that certifies these things to be Rolexy? And who the fuck are these idiots who we've experienced trying to sell them? Pardon my French, but don't fuck them, whatever. So anyway, fortunately, we have some friends in in high places and the nice people over at Tudor made some inquiries on our behalf. Long story short, CPO should be as follows. Every watch gets serviced by the retailer at Rolex accredited workshops, right? It then gets sent to Rolex to authenticate and check over every part of the movement to ensure the watch and the work is up to scratch. Uh, And then they take the high-res photos for retailers to list. Rolex take a fee basically for doing all of that, but it's the retailer that owns the watch, sets the price, and it's up to them to sell it, right? Um, But I think implicit in all that is that Rolex has an expectation that someone selling a Kermit would know what the fuck it is. Yeah. And it's certainly it's the case that they are supplied information and paperwork by Rolex for that watch, which would mean whoever was selling it in that store would be able to say, just one moment, sir, and I'll go and look it up. And on that piece of paper, it would tell them. I know last time one of the things we struggled to get an answer on was the actual year of the watch. In fact, we, we yeah. didn't get an answer. Even after waiting 15 minutes to get the answer, they couldn't find it. But I have noticed now on the Rolex site, when you go to certified pre-owned, they do uh, reveal the year of the piece now, which they never did before. Do you think that's because the CPO program was still quite new to watches of Switzerland at that point? So do you think they were just totally unprepared yeah, I think they're still learning. Uh, and in fact, uh, interestingly, when CPO first came out, every single watch looked like it had been completely refurbished. Mm. But I saw uh, Pepsi GMT, whilst the bracelet looked good, the case looked good, it had a faded bezel on it, which I've never seen on a CPO watch before. So clearly Rolex or, or the servicing are making decisions to keep things like bezels on there. But That's fucking ridiculous, right? Because now... Now you've got an incoherent piece. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I thought. Crisp case, crisp bracelet, faded bezel. So the, the only qualifying factor for a CPO watch is that it has to be at least three years old. Yeah. Is that correct? Yeah, that is officially correct. But interesting stat, our friend who shared that information, I'm sure he said the average age so far of CPO watches is 19 years. Really? Oh wow! Well, they obviously are buying some vintage pieces then. 
Yeah, there you go. Average age of every CPO watch sold so far, 19 years. So I'm pretty sure, and maybe our, our sources so far need to verify this for us, but um, the actual ADs themselves say they trade with a customer. They can send those pieces. Essentially, the stock can come from that AD. It might be something they've traded with a customer. If it's older than three years old, they can send it off through the whole CPO process to be serviced checked by Rolex and then and then sent back. So it's often their own stock or, or they find it from their own source and it it then goes to the Rolex process to to get that CPO tag. There's, there's been an, uh, an argument, well, not an argument, but certainly people have started to notice that with all this increased demand and this, this the amount of watches they're producing, that at some point we're going to meet a, a service bomb where yeah. all these people all these watches are going to require servicing and actually they're not going to be able to cope with the amount of demand for servicing. But do you think the CPO program is going to have uh, the first dibs, if you will? It's going to, well, it, it's going to be the one that's going to have the, the rights over the servicing. I think it's really interesting. And to look at our friend's text and to go back to his exact wording, every watch gets serviced by the retailer at a Rolex accredited workshop. Yeah. Not at RSC. No, but it's sent back to them to be checked. And then it goes to someone at yeah. Rolex somewhere to check. But the verification process on that, it still means they've got to open the watch. They've got to verify. I appreciate the servicing element is taken out, but that's still going to be a lot of time that's that's given up to the CPO program. I mean, I don't know whether that means they're going to strip the movement. Are they, are they literally checking the authenticity of every single part mm -hmm. in that movement or do they take it as read as part of the program that the accredited workshop will have done that job already mm. so that's going to open up the back make sure that the right number movements in the right model watch or the right reference blah 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 it's a standard qc yeah. check right they can check for different things it probably goes on the time graph I open it up check everything over all the usual stuff. And it might be that they do spot checks every now and again. And that particular watchmaker never really knows when a watch is going to be fully inspected. Like, like who knows? There must be a process. But it's interesting you say that, Matt, because I think it is going to be, it is ironically a time, bit of a time bomb with mm. the boom that we've had now and the amount of watches in the market uh, and the CPO program adds to the stress. However, we all know Rolex are building this whole new facility, which is going to double the size of their capacity or, or something like that. I don't know the exact figures. And part of me wonders, oh, right, are they going to be upping the amount of new watches they produce? Or is this to be able to handle the amount of servicing? Because the whole CPO program is a whole nother revenue stream for Rolex that they don't necessarily need to up the production of new pieces now to generate and grow revenue. They've got a whole nother CPO and servicing program that's a whole new revenue stream to Rolex in the way that the iTunes store is a whole new revenue stream to Apple. Yeah, I mean, it brings in some real money, but next to that primary core business, it is fuck all, right? Maybe fuck all is a strong way of putting it. Apple does all right on that stuff, but they're a trillion dollar company and iTunes brings in whatever the fuck it brings in, right? Because who downloads that? Anyway, I digress. They're making a fee, a relatively modest, I would imagine, fee on CPO, at least right now. And all right, they're building that business. So maybe phase two of that plan is to do some clever shit. But 
CPO sales could technically outstrip new sales eventually. You know, you think about if Rolex are produced, they've been producing a million watches a year for a while. There's a shitload of watches out there mm. that can then come back into this process that now they can make money from the secondary market, which they never could before. The markup has only got to be small because it's a strength in numbers. And like you say, Rolex moves very slowly. And I wonder how much of this has been planned for this CPO program, where they had this in mind 10 years ago, five years ago. And if they outsourcing servicing, it's pure profit margin for them. Yeah. I know yeah. they're doing the quality control, but on that same question, I think we've already seen Tudor do this to some extent, but already Cartier and a few of the other brands are doing it. I think a lot more brands, when you send a watch in for a service, certainly a more modern watch, they're just going to do a movement switch, put in a new movement, send the watch back, and they might then still recycle or or, um, or still service those parts, but they've got a bit more time to do it, but it means they can turn a watch around much more quickly. I know you're Tudor GMT, Matt. Yeah, so, I mean, I have my Tudor GMT since 20s, right at the start of 2021. And uh, a common problem with it was that the date wheel would get stuck halfway between dates. Um, and it was absolutely fine, no issues. It's one of my most worn pieces. It's, it's knackered, but it's been absolutely bulletproof. And then all of a sudden, last end of last year, it just started to get stuck in between the dates, sent it off, and I had it back within three weeks, and there was no quite, there was just a movement replacement. There was no element of servicing. There was nothing. It was just case back off, movement out, new movement in, send it back. Yeah. At least you knew it was an authentic Tudor. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We took out that Seiko movement and stuck in a Tudor one. <laughs> <laughs> but that's kind of like kicking it down the can though isn't it just we'll do you a movement switch because suddenly you're talking about disposable movements which on a 200 pound seiko i can wrap my head around but on a three or four grand tudor i'm like fucking really yeah but then is it the fact that it gives them time to then work on that movement i want my movement yeah don't fucking touch my like i mean fix my movement service yeah. my movement but give me back my movement Especially when it, if it's sentimental, right? Like if you kind of get a, get a watch from a parent or something like that that's been handed down. You bought a Black Bay Harrods with your mates. Exactly. You see, when we get our FXDs in grade, uh, Craig said like that'll that'll invalidate the guarantee, didn't he? Uh, yes, because he said if we take the case back off to have it done, potentially you are as soon as that case back comes off that's not done under certain conditions then it invalidates the warranty. However, if we have it engraved and the case back doesn't come off, how do they know that we haven't taken the case back off or have taken it off? They know everything, Matt. They're watching at all times. <laughs> it's like when I went to RSC and I suggested to the nice man there that I might switch my bracelet for a strat. I don't know. I put it on a NATO and he was just like, oh, looked aghast. He was like, Rolex wouldn't endorse that sort of thing or wouldn't like that. And I'm like, what? <laughs> I can do what I want. He's like, well, that's not. Mm. <laughs> you can't do what you want. You will do what Rolex wants. Well, quite. It's their watch, really, <laughs> not mine. I'm just a guardian. <laughs> anyway, I think that covers CPO. We've probably asked now more questions than answered. I mean, what we have all <laughs> agreed separately is that none of us are target market for that shit. And no, um, not at all. I think it's, as Darren rightly said, it, we're, we're not the target audience. Yeah, But in fairness, based on the information we've got, it, to be clear, they fully serviced. It's kind of overseen by Rolex and it is certified and it kind of goes through a whole process. So I think for anyone that 
doesn't have strict conditions when it comes to what a vintage watch should be and just wants something new that that looks clean, reliable, and they know for sure it's authentic. I guess that that's who it might suit. Yeah, although really good point, actually. I'm just thinking about that note, that it's the average age is 19 years old. So that's neo-vintage just about, right? That's mm, still yeah. a Luminova watch. It's not tritium. Yeah, it's it's more modern than neo vintage, I guess, by the strict definition. So your parts are all authentic Rolex parts, fact, but there's nothing to say they're original to that watch that they left the factory in or on and, that watch. And as you said, if you're looking at GMTs that have got a beautiful original factory bezel that's faded over the years and has shown the process of time, and yet it's got a polished case or it's got a brand new bracelet and does it does it negate from the watch itself yes it does yeah i think so yeah um so the fact that darren's cleared up that that we're not going to get um in any trouble with the rolex cpo program i'd still like to say that i still hate booker <laughs> although when i i remember going in there pre-cpo and they had their own cabinet in the corner where they had pre-owned watches right there and it didn't say CPO. It's just they had they was they were doing yeah. To be fair, the, the Booker in Westfields actually they 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 not just Rolex. They they've got APs. They've got you know JLCs. They've got they've always done pre-owned. I think when we went into watches of Switzerland, they clearly had not had an experience of not selling a brand new watch before. I don't think we saw the right person because it, it sounds like based on the information we recently got that there's at least one CPO expert there. When we went, it was week two of CPO there, right? Yeah. And very possibly that person had the day off or... I was about to say, because would you not think that if that, if if they saw us and the questions that we were asking and the stuff that we were talking about, do you not think they would have gone, fucking hell, get that person here now? Yeah. I mean, I remember it was a That's hilarious cool. conversation because you're like, you gave the reference number, to know what you're talking about. You went... The, the, the green bezel didn't know what you're talking about. The Kermit didn't know what you're talking about until you literally just slapped your finger down on the glass and pointed at it. Did you finally get it? Anyway. And even then, like you say, it was still 15, 20 minutes later. We we, we basically just gave up and said, you know what, just don't worry about it. Whatever yeah. year it is, it's fine. We're, we're off. Yeah. yeah. So, By the way, you've, you've overpriced that watch. Yes. <laughs> cool. Well, look, we wanted to talk about GTGs, didn't we, about get-togethers. We did, um, yeah. I don't, are we calling this like a? Is this going to be like a, a special, a watch get together special? I wasn't going to say anything like that, but I I can't control what you do on Instagram, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> well, I only think it's important because we're, obviously we're talking only about... Instagram can control what you do on Instagram. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Does it fuck control me? Fuck's sake! If I get one more ban, I'll fucking walk away from the place. You're in good company. I see Tony Trainer got banned the other day. <laughs> oh, it's fucking ridiculous. But I don't know why. I just I wish it would make sense why. It just nothing makes sense on there. Yeah. So that's what Tony Trainer was saying. Yeah. yeah. But um but I do think it's important to discuss what's get togethers. Um obviously we're predominantly probably tonight we're going to talk about our meet last Thursday. Um what we do on these watch get togethers and how it sort of came about. And I suppose that that's where we need to start is that process of actually meeting watch people or the watch fam, because we speak to a lot of people on Instagram and some people are really nervous about it. Yeah. My missus, the first time I came and met you, Matt, mm. my missus went, where are you going tonight? And I was like, well, I'm meeting 
I'm meeting this guy PL Watch Collection and uh yeah, she's like, what do you mean PL? What's his name? And I'm like, uh, I think it's Matt. It's like you don't know his fucking name. And wait, hang on, and you're gonna go, what? And you're taking a bunch of watches and like who the fuck is this guy? And how do you know that he's not some hacker who's going to knife you and steal your watches? And I'm like, I don't, but he seems really nice. And <laughs> I'm sure it's fine because he knows his watches. And, you know, it'll we're going to a safe place. There'll be, it's a public place, sort of. And, you know, it's secure. It's fine. And she just looked at me like, you fucking moron. <laughs> but I, my, my message was exactly the same. You know, when I came out to meet you for the first time, and, and obviously we'll, we'll talk about me and Darren when we met for the first time. It was that. It's just like, well, what do you mean you're going to meet them? And I was like, yeah. well, well, she's like, well, how many watches are you taking? And I was like, well, I'm taking quite a lot. All of them. Yeah. She was like, but you can't, you, you can't just do that. Have you ever met them before? And exactly the same thing. What's their names? And I'm just like, well, it's, it's, it's G, isn't it? <laughs> it's just, yeah, but you, you, you can't just do that. And I said, well, you can. Sometimes you have to have a little bit. You know, we talked enough on Instagram. You you just get a feeling and you know. And I, he, and I don't he, think he's been grooming me for at least six months. It's <laughs> yeah. fine. But I do think it's important to say that you you have to have an element of trust on on all the people you talk to on Instagram. I think you know, and I think it's important to say always be careful. You don't meet fucking just any random stranger. Make sure you're doing it in a safe place. And do, yeah, do that it. guy who says, "Oh, mate, that's a lovely rainbow Daytona. Want to go for a beer?" And I would say also, don't feel pressured that you have to take a lot of watches. I think if you're more comfortable no. with taking less, it's actually more just about meeting others. And I think once you know you can trust, then you can bring more along. I mean, it doesn't yeah. stop any of us. But, yeah. I think it's important to note that me and Darren, when we first met, um, I, we'd been talking for a while. You know, we'd always conversed on Instagram and we'd had a bit of a laugh and everything like that. And you'd gone to South Africa. Yeah. You're on holiday over there. I remember I had covid I was feeling very sorry. Can I just say also, I had COVID last time we recorded. Wow. And I, I, when I listen back to our last few podcasts, I'm thinking, you really do sound bunged up. <laughs> but I, I, so I had COVID for the first time, I think, and I was feeling very sorry for myself. And we were talking about, and gee, you might have to close your ears for a minute. We were talking about moon swatches and actually, are they, what are they? What do they, you know, we were talking lots about them. There's so you much see that around fucking them. bullshit they're doing now. Yeah. Fuck. Oh, don't, don't. But we were talking about moon swatches and, you know, they were just out and we thought, oh, what, you know, do we get them? Do we not? Are they just hype? Is it bullshit? Are they just bits of fun? Are they throwaway watches? And uh, Darren, you were in South Africa and you said, do you know what? I've actually just picked up some moon swatches. And I said to you, I really fancy a Mars. And you said, well, actually, I can get you one. I was like, really? He said, yeah, they've got them in stock here. I was like, do you know what? Fuck it, get me one. So you bought me one, came back to the UK and we said, well, let's let's meet. And he said, you know, and I remember you you were probably more nervous than I was. I was really nervous because my wife was winding me up as well about it. Yeah. yeah. But I remember thinking, well, let's I I you know, I work a lot, I travel around the M25, which is a circular motorway in Britain, for anyone yeah. that doesn't know what the M25 is. I was traveling around it and, and you said, Well, we can meet at these services. And yeah, we'll meet and yeah, you give me my moon swatch. I paid you up front for it, and let's do. I it. will say, meeting at the fucking services <laughs> sounds immediately dodgy. <laughs> the, the funny thing is, my wife was so paranoid that I ended up agreeing having a code word uh, with her that I would text when I get there that I'm okay. 
So I said, if I'm not okay and this guy I'm meeting is like dodgy, like he might just text anything from my phone going, hey, I got here. But if I don't include this emoji, then you know something's wrong. The irony is when I finally got home, she was like, hiya. I was like, you know, I just went to meet that guy. She's oh, I completely forgot. And I was like, I texted you and everything. She wasn't paying what any was that attention aubergine to emoji for? <laughs> <laughs> And also, I think Matt, didn't you shout sausages at me? Was the well, first? Thing yeah, because you said, you said oh, right, I've got a code word with my missus. So <laughs> yeah. I said, Well, let's have a code word together. So let's let's call it sausages. <laughs> and I remember I pulled up in my car and you pulled up just down from me. And I saw you get out and you had a little little red swatch bag in your hand. And I was like, Oh, that's Darren. So I got out and across the car park, I just said, Sausages. And you turned around, and that was it. And that was our first time we met. Um, we went in the same. I mean, I'm not being funny. You you got fucking WhatsApp, right? You could have actually just WhatsApped each other. Is that your car? Yeah, all right, mate. <laughs> yeah, but it was more fun to shout sausages at a stranger. Very, very true. <laughs> I mean, if anyone if anyone was recording this interaction, it would have looked proper dodgy because we then proceeded to go into the service station. At which point, you handed me two hundred and fifty quid or whatever it was in cash. I handed over a package. I mean, it it did look pretty dodgy, but yeah. Where's that? Where's that Mars moon swatch now, eh? Well, do you know what? And I know he's listening to the podcast. I gave it to a very good friend of mine, um, and I had it for a while, and I enjoyed it. Forget the bollocks, forget the hype. They're just a little bit of fun, and I think it's important to remember that. And I think they did quite. I think they did interest. Well, no, they did well for the watch community in general, and I think it allowed a lot of people into a world that they didn't really know about. Yeah, there was a lot of shit. It's undeniable how much shit was around the Moon's Watch, and it was awful to see some of the scenes that that we saw on release. Um, but do you know what? He loves it. He still wears it to this day, and yeah, it's just a little bit of fun. I mean, look, I I really enjoy giving those watches shit because because <laughs> yeah. they're shit watches. But but do you know what? It's a couple hundred quid. Like you say, yeah. it's a bit of fun, and none of us should take this thing too seriously. Let's be honest, because. I'm gonna vote with my with my wallet. I'm not gonna buy. Uh, but you don't need to. You don't need to, G, because you're a convert already. You've got the real deal. Got the Speedmaster. Yeah. yeah. The whole thing the Moonswatch did was create the next generation of watch enthusiasts. There's a lot of people that didn't know about you're, the Amiga Speedmaster. You're right. Fifteen years from now, one of those Moonswatch buyers is gonna buy a real a real deal Speedmaster or whatever. Even Amiga sales. Apparently, I think the Speedmaster sales like. There was it was like a forty percent uplift or something. Yeah, yeah. I think there was a period where you couldn't get a Speedmaster at retail. Mm. Like, I mean, you wait a week or two or something. But you know, anyway. But should no, we should we now get back on track in terms of watch? Yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Sausages. <laughs> sausages. Yeah. <laughs> Which I did shout with you, Darren, last time we met as well, last Thursday. Just yes, just because I'm a dick. So you know. I think it's important to say that, and you've and you've covered off very well. The first encounter, right? The first watch date. Yes. And the first time we got together, Matt, we met for drinks and dinner, right? It was like a, an evening thing. and then... But then, and I'm pretty sure this was your fault, I seem to recall that you took the day off and the next day off. Yes. And then it suddenly transformed, not into an evening thing, like a post-work thing, <laughs> It suddenly, it suddenly developed into, let's get together at, I don't know, fucking 11 o'clock in the morning or whatever it was. But it, and so now 
we've it, we've kind of hit this thing where it just turns into a day. It was the first time that I mean, to be fair, because we've met other you know other Instagrammers and 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 we yeah, sort we of have. ended up as this little trio, and it was the first yeah. time that we met. And obviously, I've met Darren before. I've met you yeah. before, and then it was the first oh, yeah. time the three of us met properly. Was that day we've discussed before, where we bought the Harrods and the Doxers, but it was that right. first time that we met, and we said, "Well, actually, let's meet. Let's make a day of it. Let's meet." That's true. We did. We did, and, and it then, was great. It was fucking yeah, great. and it was, and it just descended into. I love the day. I cannot tell you how much I look forward to spending the day with you guys. And I don't, I don't think an evening would cut it. It just wouldn't be enough now, just having a few hours. No, and actually, to be fair, the first time at UG, I spent the day in London because I went, I was, uh, you know, I collect vinyl as well, so I went record shopping. That's right. You were hitting the stores, yeah. Yeah, and I remember, I sh- and I, I, I don't care. You know, I, t- I took Lego shots around London. I, I, had the, I had the day of it. I don't, I'll happily do that all day long. But I showed up that evening. We met at the restaurant. There you go. There he is. <laughs> Here he is. <laughs> Holding um, up a Lego figure just to <laughs> point out there. Um, I mean, I wasn't there, but you got each, everyone a Lego figure, right? I did, yeah. Because obviously the whole thing with my Lego and, and my little Lego Dave, I feel like, although saying that, I have actually represented both of you recently in Lego. So you've yeah. got G with his little hat on. My <laughs> little hat. beanie. <laughs> your little beanie. But you'll notice I, I never show your faces. You're always like that in, in my Lego posts. <laughs> yeah. And just to remain got, anonymous. There's you, Darren. Oh, nice. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> but but it's become a day long event, right? And yes, yeah. With that come certain dangers because we went to Harrods. We were limited by the fact that the Moet Bar didn't open until midday. Correct. Yeah. And you just got your nine four one one. And I just got yep. my fifty-five thirteen, and we were excited, and we were especially new, first-time vintage watch, excited, focused. And where I'm going with this is that we weren't drinking quite as quickly as we did this last time. I think. Gene's making excuses now. Oh, I'm not making excuses, mate. I got absolutely shit-faced this time, but. <laughs> Uh, whereas last time it seemed to be a bit more of a, or that time it seemed to be a bit more of an even kill. And even the last time when we went to see Craig, mm. I remember having the good sense to order water as well as champagne, which I realised I failed to do on this occasion. Yeah. But anyway, like, it's it's just got a bit out, I, out of hands, maybe strong. But this last time, when we got together last week, three bottles of champagne before we got on the move. I mean, that was just brunch. That was just brunch. <laughs> yeah. Didn't even have a proper meal. But listen, it's good. Look, we all work. We all work hard. We all work long hours. I think sometimes it's nice that we have this passion that we can come together, we can share it, and actually we can just let our hair down. And I say let our hair down in the loosest possible sense. Especially on your and my behalf. Yeah, <laughs> yeah absolutely. <laughs> I'm still um, hanging on a bit. Yeah. <laughs> But we do do a lot of our. I mean, I know you you quite rightly did, lent hard on the gag with the uh, watch planning lasted about a minute and a half, and uh, and then we were just we were just getting the watches out to the point where the lady in the place where we were, I was like, "Can I have the bill? Which table are you? That one over there? Oh, what the watch guys?" <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, the watch guy. Sorry, we always get a response from the waitering staff. I think in every meetup, there's uh, 
Yeah, there's all. I mean, even the last one that we met up at when we were, you know, at dinner, even the table next to us were getting. Involved. I mean, there there were APs being handed round to other tables. I was like, whoa, yeah. this is next level. If only, if only there'd been a watch dealer at the table, they could have tidied up. But I mean, so this time around, we we met up, didn't we? We were under the auspices of talking podcast for ten minutes, which we yeah. which we did, in fairness. Yeah. Uh, and then we busted out. It must be said, we when we catch up with the watches, we'll go to like a Soho house because it's it's a private member's place. It's 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 basically secure. Like people don't just it, it's a bit safer than just going and, to a pub somewhere. And there's a lot of people that do you know message us or certainly message me and say you know what how how do you do that in London? And I always say to them that one we never advertise where we're going. We always say that we're meeting up, but we never tell anyone where we're going for obvious reasons. It is a private members club, so that it's restricted in terms of who comes in, who goes out, and that's important. You know, you, like you said, you don't want to sharpen just a pub and start throwing all those watches around over a table because you're going to ask for trouble. So, I think it's always important to remember that. You know, you need to do it in a secure location. If anyone's nervous, there are things like Red Bar and and other kind of more organised events that mm. if you just want to sort of test the waters. And Red Bar's good. I mean, I've still yet to make it to one, but I do, I, I'm part of a couple of Red Bars and I, I see the invites and I, I haven't, I, I managed to miss the last two. But actually they're pretty good because the locations aren't revealed until maybe the day, the day before. Yeah. Um, I've been to Time for a Pint a couple of times, which is really good. And Time for a Pint, I've got to say, which which kind of happens in sort of like, um, central London, Shoreditchy, kind of nestling, nudging on the city sort of way. And it's really nice, actually, because the watches you see there are not, I think, the watches you get at a lot of the red bars, from what I understand. Mm. It's not like, hey, look at my new Daytona. It's, it's not even, hey, look at my old Daytona. It's, look at my series of Enercar chronographs that you may you may know or you may not know, but you just see them all together. You're like, "Fuck me, wow!" Or like, "Here's a table full of Movados." And it's like, "Holy shit, this is amazing!" The last one I went to, I I got there. I took my humble little watch roll, which I plonked on the table, and I then proceeded just to talk watches with within like a three meter space upstairs in some pub in some function room of a pub, and honestly, it was just fascinating. I talked about all these watches i've never even heard of with people and if i remember the watch that you took that you took with you that actually had the most conversation sparked around it was your doxa correct yeah, yeah. the doxa gets a lot of love yeah. uh and i was in messaging someone earlier who was sort of saying yeah i don't want to see a fucking sub or a fucking speedmaster at those things i want to see exotic stuff that you never see yeah. But yeah, like hardcore nailed on 50s and 60s vintage collectors just going, oh, hello, you know. I mean, and I'd have a, that 1675 sat there and they're just like, yeah, whatever, fine. <laughs> Ten to a like, penny. Yeah, that looks, that looks <laughs> nice. Ooh, docks of carbon. Yeah, it gets a look for sure. Mm. And I think when, when we do these watch meets as well, we always have a, a, I'd say, plan. Again, it's a very loose term. Well, we think we're going to go to this shop or we're going to go to yeah. that shop and check stuff out. Yeah, and we've done it before where we know we're going to hit Burlington Arcade and we'll speak to those guys there and we'll arrange a bit of a time to go to them. We know that last, you know, that previous visit when we bought the Tudors, we knew we were going to end up in White City and Tudor. You know, so we have these little markers throughout the day and then it's really where we end up. 
Thanks for listening, folks, and we hope you enjoyed it. If you haven't already, feel free to give At That Watch Podcast a follow on Instagram and drop us a DM. You can subscribe at Apple or Spotify Podcasts to get new episodes straight to your device. See you next time.